You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Luke, tonight, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. been a joy to be a part of this meeting and I thank God for Fellowship Baptist Church and for your kindness and prayerfulness and generosity over the years. Uh, I've said it before, I say it again, this place is always like an oasis for me when I come here in so many ways and I thank God for you. Well, I was... uh, Still thinking today about uh, what we looked at last night. We're going to go a little different route tonight, but I couldn't help but think about uh, afterwards. I got back to the camper and and, uh, thinking about those that have run on ahead of us. A lot of times we think about those that are in heaven and we wonder, uh, this is the only world we've known. And... uh, so, so that's a mysterious thing to us, and we think about those that have gone ahead of us, and do they miss us? You ever think of that? Or, or you think, if I were to be uh, taken out, would I miss my family? And one day I feel like the Lord helped me with that. Uh, my dad passed away in 1986, and my mom in 2004. And uh, I've been without a father now longer than I had a father. And I've been a father longer than I had a father. And uh, my dad and I were close. And in 1986, I was in a meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he was dying in the hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. And they called me. I left the meeting. I think I preached the first night. They called me before I uh, was even to the back of the church. And I went down, spent two or three nights came back and closed the meeting out on Friday. They called me again immediately. I went back, and Dad went home to be with the Lord on Saturday uh, the next day. And I've thought a lot about, over the years, uh, his passing, and then moms, my grandmothers, uh, many friends and loved ones. And uh, time is for us, you know. Time doesn't mean anything to God. He's put that in the equation for us. And... uh, We won't have to worry about an alarm clock in heaven. Thank God. Thank God. No cell phone. Hallelujah. Uh, And uh, one day it just occurred to me that with time meaning nothing on the other side, even though that's been, uh, what, 30, 86, that's what, 32 years ago? So it would be in November. It will be 32 years since my dad went home to be with the Lord. And I really believe this. Now, you, if you don't believe it, don't argue with me about it because just leave me alone in my dumbness. Uh, I feel like that my dad is still just inside the gate. Stand there going. And one day soon, I'll be tapping him on the shoulder. And he'll look around and say, well, 
What are you doing here so quick? I just left. No, been a while, Dad, for us. He said, hadn't been anything for me. I'm still looking around. So, um, thank God that the Lord's got all this worked out and we don't have to worry about it. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to look back and we're going to say, He hath done all things well. All right, quickly tonight, I won't keep you long. Luke chapter 24, the very first Easter day, and we're going to take up the account down in verse 13, and you know this story well. It's the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Luke 24, 13, the Bible says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, seven or eight miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself, <laughs> I like that, himself, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one with another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools. Do you know what Jesus said about calling somebody a fool? He said that was a dangerous thing. But he uses that strong terminology to talk to these dear these dear disciples on the road to him, O fools and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, wouldn't you like to have sat on, in on that Bible lesson? <laughs> beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord 
is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And then Jesus appears and says, Peace be unto you. Let's pray. Father, we ask tonight in these few moments together that the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, will work mightily. You have said, Lord, promised us really that your strength was made perfect in weakness. We claim that tonight, Lord, knowing that we can do nothing in and out of ourselves other than to fail. But Lord, we lean tonight not upon the arm of flesh, but we look tonight, Lord, to the power of the Holy Spirit to wield the Word of God in such a fashion that hearts and minds and souls and lives will be drawn to Thee for Your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read you something quickly that is mind-boggling to me. And you all know this, but it, it will help us, I think, tonight. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that He's the God-man. A lot of people don't know that anymore. A lot of folks think that Jesus was just another prophet. Uh, the Muslims believe that. Or they think that Jesus was a good man with good intentions, but he failed at his, at his mission. Uh, some will even say that, uh, that Jesus was a special fellow. Some will say he meant well, but he was just a little confused. Now I want to tell you, you, you can't have it both ways. I, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, we'd have to put him mentally on the level of a poached egg. He would be the most blasphemous of all people unless he is really who he said he was. He would be on the level of Charlie Manson that just slipped out into eternity not too long back. And I watched an interview years ago and they were asking Charlie a, a variety of questions and the interviewer said, Charlie, what about Jesus Christ? And he got this wild look in his eye and he said, man, I am Jesus Christ. Once in a while, you'll hear of someone who claims to be Jesus and immediately we mark them up as a lunatic. This man, Jesus, was the God-man. Some people say he didn't claim to be God. Oh, I beg to differ, he did claim to be God. Amen. Thomas acknowledged him as God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And had he not been God, he could not have accepted the worship that Thomas offered to him. A fellow, a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner in Science Speaks, states concerning the following eight prophecies. Number one, born in Bethlehem. Two, preceded by a messenger. Three, to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Four, betrayed by a friend. Five, sold for 30 pieces of silver. Six, money to be thrown in God's house, price given for the potter's field. Seven, the he would be dumb before his accusers. Eight, his hands and his feet pierced, crucified with thieves. Stoner said this about those eight prophecies. 
as a mathematician, he had calculated this and he said that there is one chance in 10 to the 17th power that Jesus could have filled, fulfilled all of them in his life. Now, if you're like I am, and you probably are, that doesn't mean much. One in 10 to the 17th power. But that is a one, the number is a one followed by 17 zeros. And the probability of one man accidentally fulfilling only eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now Stoner goes on and he breaks this down and he gives me as a country boy a little bit of an idea of how unfathomable that is. He says that number would be like having enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now before I go farther, I was preaching down about 100 miles east of Dallas, Texas a few years ago and I had supper with a judge there and his wife and he was talking about the largeness of Texas as I was and uh, I said something about driving from there to Chicago and he said, he said preacher, now I was 100 miles east of Dallas and, and he said, you know, if you leave right now headed to Chicago and I leave right now from here headed to El Paso, he said, you'll be in Chicago before I'll be in El Paso. It's a big state. If you had, if you had one to the 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, and you had enough of them to cover the state of Texas two feet deep, and you took one silver dollar and colored it white, and you dropped it somewhere in there, and you mixed all of the state of Texas silver dollars up, and then you blindfolded a fellow on the state line and t told him to head out and start walking. Let him walk as long and as far as he wants to and to somewhere at his own discretion stop, plunge his hand down into those silver dollars and pull out that white one. What chance would he have? He'd have one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, let's go on. Now these prophecies, Stoner said, were either given by inspiration of God or the prophets just wrote them as they thought they should be. In such a case, the prophets had just one chance in 10 to the 17th power of having them come true in any man, but they all came true in Christ. This means that the fulfillment of these eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writing of those prophecies to a definiteness which lacks only one chance in 10 to the 17th power of being absolute. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Stoner states that the possibility of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person to be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. How large of a number is this? Stoner explains. This is a really large number and it represents an extremely small chance. Let us try to visualize it. The silver dollar which we've been using is entirely too large. We must select a smaller object. The electron is about as small an object as we know of. It is so small that it will take 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power of them laid side by side to make a line, single file, one inch long. If we're going to count the electrons in this line one inch long and we counted 250 each minute and we counted day and night, it would take us 19 million years to count just the one inch line of electrons. 
If we had a cubic inch, we talked about cubic miles last night, if we had a cubic inch of these electrons and we tried to count them, it would take us counting steadily 250 each minute. That's fast counting, by the way. 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years or 6.9 times 10 to the 21st power. With this introduction, let us go back to our chance of 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Let us suppose that we're taking this number of electrons, marking one, and thoroughly stirring it into the whole mass, then blindfolding a man and letting him try to find the right one. What chance has he of finding the right one? What kind of a pile would this number of electrons make? Now, I think you can see tonight that that is inconceivable. Those are mathematical figures that stagger our little mind. It does mine anyway. But here's the bottom line. Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. I know him personally tonight. I know that our vice president is catching a lot of flack because he says that he personally talks to Jesus. I'm in that crowd. I've talked to him today. You say, did he answer you? Oh, he always does. Not in an audible voice, but I pick up his word and he always speaks to my soul. These poor disciples remind me of myself. They are down and out and dejected and feel rejected and I don't know what the purpose is really in them going back on the Emmaus Road and, and, and trying to find some kind of solace here along the way but they're, they're down. And, and let's admit it tonight church, we've talked about this off and on all week. We are, we are in a troubled world. But the Bible says... Uh, that man that is born of woman is of what? Few days and full of trouble. Have you found that to be true? I have. Few days and full of trouble. You young people that are here tonight, I'll say to you what old timers said to me when I was a young person. It's not going to be long till you'll be where we are. You're going to blink one day and turn around and your life is going to be escaping you. I told my son uh, just a year or so ago, uh, I said, son, I know this doesn't make any sense to you now, but I said, your children are little, and I said, you're in your 30s. I said, before you can blink, you're going to wake up one morning, and you're going to be in your 50s. My grandmother passed away in 1988 at the age of 98, and uh, she uh, was, was a, a, a godly woman, but she told me before her mind began to slip away from her, one day I was talking with her and she said, Dwight, she said, here I am uh, at that time at well into her 80s and she said, it seems like just yesterday I was holding my babies in my hands. And I was a young fella and I thought, yeah, that's an old woman talking, you know. <laughs> oh my. Now I'm beginning to feel a little of that. I want you to see tonight just a couple of things and I'll be done. These disciples had hearts that were sad and troubled. I wonder if anybody can relate to that. I wonder if anybody here tonight, even though you're a child of God, you feel the weight of this world. You have the weariness, the spiritual weariness of being one of God's plotters, being one of God's servants, one of God's workmen. And the toll of the way has worn away at you some. Now you won't get anything out of this tonight if you're not honest with yourself and with God. 
Sometimes we shout the victory and on the inside we're crumbling away. We've all mastered the art of smiling on the exterior and on the inside we're weeping and groaning. These are Christians and they're on the road to Emmaus and they're under a heavy spiritual load. Their hearts are troubled, but I'll tell you why. They're focusing on the death of Christ rather than the living Christ. They're focusing just on the cross. Now, the wonder of the cross. Thank God for the work of justification that took place for us sinners on the cross. He did not die to try to do something. He died to accomplish a task. And that accomplishment was my redemption. It was the accomplishment of my justification in the sight of God the Father. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. All that I have tonight in my hope of heaven, all that I have tonight to lay claim to for righteousness is bound up in what God did in the work of the death of the Lamb of God on the cross but we must not stay at the cross. We have to go by the way of the cross if we're going to be saved. We have to stop there at the foot of the cross and say, yes, there is my Savior. That is my Lamb dying on the cross for my sins. And then we move on and we realize that he did not stay on the cross. That's why I don't wear a crucifix. A crucifix shows a dead Savior nailed to a tree. He's not on the cross. They took him down and they laid him in a borrowed tomb. But a dear old black preacher said one time, a borrowed tomb will do because he ain't going to be there very long. He's soon going to step out of that bondage of that borrowed tomb. And he's already done that here as we take up the account with these two poor disciples. And they're, they're disheartened and they're down and they're focusing more on the death of Christ than they are the life of Christ. But now, you know, uh, Andrew Murray said this. He said, a dead Christ I must do everything for. But a living Christ does everything for me. Vast difference between me trying to do everything for a dead Christ. That's the problem in a lot of Baptist churches. We're trying to do something for God and we need God doing something for us. We're trying to prop up our God. We're trying to make him look good. We're trying to make God uh, presentable to the crowd. Don't worry about that. Just look to the Lamb of God tonight. Look to Christ. Look tonight to the risen Christ. Recognize that he is alive and he's well and he's living within the believer tonight. It's an amazing and a marvelous thing tonight for me to realize that God took up his abode with men. You remember when he gave the law to Moses and the Israelites are down at the foot of the mountain and they're breaking almost every one of the laws? And then he goes back up and after Moses gets mad and he breaks the tablets, he goes back up and God gives him the law and he gives him the pattern for the tabernacle. Because God knows very well that they're not going to obey the law even though he writes them on a second tablet of stone. They're going to break because the law was never given to show you how good you can be. It's given to show us how bad that we are on the sight of God. It's given as a mirror for us to look into and say, Lord, you're right, I am a sinner. And then when we see that, 
we turn to the grace of God and we trust what Christ alone can do in saving our soul. Now, these fellows were redeemed fellows and they're making their way along, but they're looking to a, to a dead Christ. And, and so there's this sad and troubled heart and then they're slow of heart to believe. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, uh, verse 25, he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. You say, well, that, that's pretty strong language. They had the book. They didn't have the scriptures that we've got, but they had enough to know. But they were slow of heart to believe. Now, I'm not castigating and finding fault with these fellows. That's been the story of my life. I'm slow of heart, preacher, to believe. I'm just being dead honest with you. It doesn't matter how much God does. Doesn't matter how many times he gets me out of the pinch. Doesn't matter how many sins he's forgiven me of. I always wonder, how's he going to do it the next time? The first little bump in the road, I'm wondering what's God going to do now? First time that I'm walking by faith in the darkness, the first time that I can't really seem to see his face, the first time that it seems like things are not like I want them to be, I'm wondering what's God holding against me? And that's wickedness on my part. Wickedness because God loves me tonight. He loves you tonight. Not because you're good. He loves you because he died for you. He loves you tonight because you were created in the image of God. You were put on this planet to be the representative of God on planet earth. We're not doing very well with that church. We don't expect the lost crowd to be God's representatives even though they were made in the same image of the same God. But those that claim to be redeemed by the power of God should know something about representing God. I can't do it very well. I'm an ambassador for Christ as are you. But Christ who lives in me is able to do the job. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever get your eyes off of that. So there's, there's something else that happens here now. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus reveals himself to them and uh, they, they finally have their eyes open in verse 32, they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, there's a burning heart, but I want to say something right here. This is as far as a lot of us ever get. We get to the place where we have a spiritual heartburn we long for the things of God. We long for a closer walk. We long for a, a deeper knowledge of the scriptures. We, we long for some kind of a spiritual impact to be made with our lives, but we stop there. And if the truth be told, we find ourselves in a quandary from time to time. We're all like on a spiritual roller coaster. We're either up here or we're down here. And again, we master the art of covering that up around other believers and we make it appear that we're all the time okay when the fact is we struggle. When the fact is there are times we wonder where is God? But here's the thing and I'm done that the disciples did that we need to do. They, when Jesus began to expound the scriptures to them, they said after the fact our hearts began to burn. And you know what they did? They said, stay with us, sir. 
Sir, would, would you, he made as if he would go a little farther. And they said, please don't go. Now, they don't know who he is yet. They just know they're getting the best Bible class they've ever sat in on. And they've been in on some good ones, I think, but they're getting the best one now they've ever sat in on. And their minds are boggled and their hearts are inflamed. Now, they could have said, oh man, what a lesson we've heard. What a meeting we've had. What a joyous time. And they could have gone back and they could have told the disciples a lot, but they could have never said, we've actually been with Jesus. Because they wouldn't have known it. You can testify to the goodness of God. You can testify to the grace of God. You can testify to believing the word of God. You can testify to the salvation of God and all of those things and never really get beyond a burning heart. But I'll tell you what you need. You need the constant companionship of the Lord Jesus. Now, that, that may sound overly simplified tonight, and, and maybe it is. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will allow that to be cemented in your heart tonight. Listen, it's not how much you pray. It's not even how much Bible you read. It's not even how much you attend church. Can you wake up in the wee hours of the morning and realize that Jesus' presence is real? You should be able to. You say, oh, but preacher, I've messed up. Forget all of that. You think God doesn't know you've messed up? Do you think God doesn't know that your heart is still full of wickedness? Do you think that God doesn't realize that you still have a propensity for sin? Don't look at me that way. Everybody here has got it. It's not just us Kentuckians, you guys got it too. Everybody has that propensity for sin. And the moment we think that we're beyond that, we're in more trouble than we even realize. But in the wee hours of the morning, if you wake up, I don't know why three o'clock in the morning a lot of times, I'll, I'll awaken and I'll look at the clock and it'll be three o'clock on the dot. And, and I wonder what's going on with that. But when those times come, have you, ever, have you ever awakened in the middle of the night and you sensed that things were not right? Weird kind of feeling. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just saying, you know, you just think something's wrong. You better pay heed to that. And when those moments come, I, I say, Lord, you know what's going on and I don't. You know what's happening, Lord, and I don't. And, and I, I continually try to discipline myself to recognize that the presence of Christ is real. You say, oh, preacher, everybody knows that. Why don't we act like it? Why are our lives not being lived in the power of a resurrected Christ? The Son of God, the creator of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the new heavens and the new earth one day, and he is my king. He is my savior. He's my Lord. He's the one who knows all about me and still loves me anyway, and I've never gotten over that. Knows me at my worst, knows me at my weakest, knows me at my frailest. He knows me when I doubt. He knows me when I'm afraid. He knows me when I've neglected the book. He knows me when my prayer life is dried up. But I want to tell you the problem tonight. We're too caught up in the gifts when we should be caught up in the giver. Amen. We're looking to what God can do for us and what God can give us. And we're talking about, boy, if I could just have a drink out of that fountain, take the fountain home with you. Take the fountain home with you. If I could just live in the light of his love, 
He is the son of righteousness tonight. If you're a child of God, he abides in you. Don't just be downcast tonight, get a good Bible lesson or two, and then go out and say, boy, we had a good week and our hearts burned within us. But take the living Christ out of this place with you. Go out and face the world, face your job, face your enemy, face your companions, face your family, face your neighbors with the living Christ in you. Don't be phony Christians. Don't be saccharine Christians. Don't try to be something that you're not really on the inside. The world can detect phoniness a mile away. Kids can detect phoniness a mile away. They don't need more phoniness in this world. Hollywood's given us plenty of that. Washington gives us plenty of that. LA gives us plenty of that. Las Vegas gives us plenty of that. But when we come to the house of God, we need genuine Christians who have the living Christ within them who is the resurrected Christ living his life through them. Quit trying to live the Christian life in your own power. And get to the point that you say, I I didn't just have a good time this week, but I left realizing that within me is the risen Savior. The only one who can live the life that he demands for me to live. Now, I I hope you get that. You know, that's, that's not... A friend of mine down in Glasgow, Kentucky, was in a restaurant not long ago, and, and a fellow Baptist and a guy from, a, I think, a Pentecostal background. I'm not knocking anybody, but he came through, and he was, uh, he was going to kind of lambast my friend a little bit, and he said, oh, he said, oh, yeah, he said, I know, I know what you guys believe. He said, y'all believe in that easy way, don't you? And my friend said, no, sir. He said, we believe in an impossible way. An impossible way. Without Christ, nobody goes. Without the living Christ, nobody lives the Christian life. Without the living Christ, nobody witnesses in the power of the Holy Ghost. Without the living Christ, no church has real revival. Without the living Christ, we cannot proclaim the good news and the power of the Spirit of God. We have leaned too long and too hard on the power of the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Look tonight to the Lamb of God. Look to the living Christ who's living within you and tap into, if I can use that term, tap into the power of a Savior tonight who longs to live his life in you and through you. Quit trying to do it on your own. You never could, you can't tonight, and you'll never be able to. But Christ rises to the occasion. Let's stand tonight. Father, speak to our hearts, we pray, in the high and lofty and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening 
happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.